As the kids are leaving, you can go ahead and open your Bibles to uh, Luke chapter 6. We are continuing our series in Luke 6 today. So Luke, Luke 6 begins with uh, a couple of teachings of Jesus on the idea of Sabbath and resting. And that makes me think of sleeping. And I am not a good sleeper. Um, for as long as I can remember, at bedtime, my eyes are wide awake. And uh, when, when Elise and I first got married, all through, through college, I was a night owl. And at nighttime, I was wide awake in college and in seminary. I did my, I legit, it, my brothers will tell you it's because I was a procrastinator, but I, I legit did my best work after 10 p.m. So now it's like I am done at 8 p.m. Uh, but there was a season when that was the most productive time of my life. So I, not a good sleeper is, is what this is boiling down to. So when I lay down at night, my mind wonders. And it goes to the strangest places. I'm sure some of yours are the same way. One night, I was laying in bed. This was, gosh, I don't know, 15 years ago, maybe more. And I was thinking about sleep and about how much I had to do and how annoying sleep was because sleep is not productive. So I'm laying there and I'm thinking, what if, what if God, I mean, he can do anything, right? He can do anything. What if God had designed human beings where we didn't have to sleep. Wouldn't that be great? I mean, think of all the productivity. Yeah, I mean, you'd be able to get a lot done. Okay, and then not just, like, get stuff done, but you'd finally have that time for yourself, you know? Uh, if I didn't have to sleep, I would actually go to the gym, right? Can I get an amen? Anybody whose sleep is getting in the way of the gym, that's what I'm going to blame. I mean, obviously, Okay, so if I, if I didn't have to sleep, I would read more books, or maybe I would take up a hobby. One of the things that got weeded out of my life was video games. Maybe I could actually start playing video games again. Like, all these things come back up of, all right, what, what would I do, what can I do if I didn't have to sleep? And I thought about all this wasted time, and then it hit me. Then it hit me. All right, I am so thankful... I am so thankful that God designed us to be creatures that need sleep, all right? If I didn't need to come home every night to sleep, I would probably never stop. I mean, is there anybody else who's like that? Not only would I never stop, I probably wouldn't be home very much at all, okay? So as much as needing to sleep impedes progress and productivity and fun, the body's need for rest forces me to slow down and remember my family, right? All right, now mealtime is the same way. Both sleep and meals are biological triggers forcing us with the need to rest. They're hardwired into us. We have to stop. Now, we can skip a meal and maybe cheat a little, or we can even cheat a little and, and maybe eat on the run. But you can't cheat sleep for too long. Now, now, follow me here, okay? Follow me. All right? The need for sleep and the need for meals forces us together. We need a safe place to sleep, right? 
So we live in houses. Mealtimes take time to make. And before the supermarket, they took time to prepare. And so mealtimes from start to finish were these huge family endeavors that forced us together. God built a biological magnet into us, pulling us together as a family around mealtimes and sleep. This gift of sleep, this curse of counterproductivity was actually given to us for our good. We are better because of this kind of rest. Our families are better because of it. We have to be less selfish. And it's an opportunity for us to be more empathetic as humans because not only do we have to provide sleep and meals for ourselves, but we have to provide a safe place for our children and those in our care. So we are better humans because we have a physiological need that makes us stop. And those pauses are when we connect to other people. So God, in his wisdom, knew that we would never stop if he did not make us. Okay? God, in his wisdom, knew we would never stop if he did not make us. And I think God, in his wisdom, knew that, and so he set the example for us for the need to pause and rest. So at the beginning of creation, when all things were done, God had spent six days creating, he paused on the seventh day and set the example for us in rest. Listen to Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. It says this, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So just as much as plants and trees were part of the created order, as much as stars and planets and the sun are essential uh, features for the functionality of the universe, in the same way, rest is essential in God's good design. Think about that. Chew on that for a minute. Rest is essential in God's good design. Anybody need to elbow their spouse right now and say, amen, right? Like rest is essential in God's good design for us. So today we're continuing our study in the Gospel of Luke. Over the last two weeks, we looked at the calling of Peter and we looked at the calling of Levi. And we've seen how Jesus has been displaying his authority over spiritual forces, over physical forces, and even over men. Now we know that because when Jesus calls, people come. And we've seen that Jesus even has the authority to forgive sins. Now as we move into chapter 6, we're going to see that Jesus flexes some new authority. 
Today we'll see that Jesus has the authority to properly interpret the Old Testament law. You see, God, all right, you see, as as God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, who was present and part of the creation, Jesus knew firsthand the importance of rest. So I just want you to think about that. Jesus, John, the, John's gospel identifies him as the word who is the spoken word of creation. Jesus was present through the created order. Today, as we tackle, tackle this idea of how Jesus interprets the Sabbath and rest, I want you to think about, okay, that Jesus was present with the Father through all six days of creation and was present with the Father as the first Sabbath rest was observed. All right, let's go ahead and uh, look at Luke chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. It says this, On a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, What you are doing is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. And Jesus answered them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those with him? And he said to them, The Son of Man is... Lord of the Sabbath. Now, I love thinking about Jesus being Lord of the Sabbath as we think about him being present in creation. Verse 6. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. A man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or destroy it? And after looking around at them, I just love that. Like he just asked the question and stopped. And you just almost see him like, which one of you is going to say something, right? Just just say something, I dare you. And after looking around at them, all After looking around at them all, he said to him, Stretch out your hand. And he did so. And his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. Okay. So we're going to unpack these, these two stories right here. All right. So as we do this, let's make some uh, quick observation. Now, the first thing we need to see is that these are two separate stories. Two separate stories. They happen at different times, perhaps weeks or months apart. We're not told this, but they probably happened at two different locations, probably in two different towns, which means that these are probably two different sets of Pharisees that he is engaging, okay? So there's nothing that says this is the same group of people. Now, at this point in Jesus' ministry, Uh, Jesus was setting himself at odds with the Jewish religious establishment on a regular basis. So far as we've moved through the the book of Luke, we've seen that he had offended the Pharisees when he forgave the the sins of the paralyzed man. He had offended the Pharisees when he went over to Levi's house 
for the party. Now, he skipped it at the end of chapter 5 as we moved into chapter 6, but he's even at odds over the ideas of the Pharisees fasting. So he set himself at odds with the Pharisees and the religious establishment quite often so far in the book of Luke. So Luke is telling us that even though the masses and the crowds are following Jesus, and they were interested in who Jesus was, the religious uh, establishment was not on board with who Jesus was. And they were challenging Jesus every chance they got. But Luke's telling us more than that. Okay? Luke is telling us that as much as the Pharisees may have been challenging Jesus' authority, what Luke's saying is Jesus is actually challenging their traditions and their, man, their man-made supplements to God's law. So as much as what we see is the Pharisees challenging Jesus, Jesus is actually the one challenging them. We, as readers of the New Testament, should be looking at this and seeing how Jesus sets himself up as the authority, as the word of God, and we should be looking for how he interprets the scripture. All right, now these two stories at the beginning of Luke 6 are remarkably similar, all right? So so surely just including one of them would have been sufficient. Would we have learned much more about Jesus and his understanding of the uh, Sabbath, if we just read one of these? Probably. But they're both in there. So despite how similar they are, the fact that they're both in there means we need to pay special attention to their differences. So one of the things we're going to do as we move through these two passages is see that the overall is basically the same. But we're going to take note of the difference to hopefully make the, the overall teaching of Jesus a little more um, apparent and easy for us to understand. All right, so if you're a new believer, maybe you're new to the Bible, you're young, or you just don't know yet, let's talk about this word Sabbath, because Sabbath is not a word that we use on a regular basis. So what does the word Sabbath mean? Well, Sabbath is a Hebrew word, and the simplest way to get started is to think that Sabbath is just the name of the seventh day of the week. Okay, so just like our seventh day of the week is Saturday, Sabbath just means Saturday. However, it is a, there's a little bit more to it than that. The word Sabbath, which means Saturday, uh, comes from the verb to rest. So when we look at Saturday, the name of the seventh day of the week, the name literally means day of rest. So what does this mean? All right, just like we read earlier in Genesis 7, God rested on the seventh day. He set it apart, and he made it holy. So throughout the Old Testament, God gives his people special instructions about how to handle the Sabbath. Now, did we come to church yesterday? No, we came to church on Sunday. So as Christians, we observe Sabbath on Sunday in honor of Jesus raising from the dead on Sunday. Okay, so it's still the same basic concepts here as we look at Sunday being our Sabbath as Christians, as followers of Jesus. All right, so so far in Luke, we see that Jesus is at odds with a group of religious leaders called the Pharisees. So let's talk about the Pharisees for a quick minute. The Pharisees, as a group, uh, emerged in the Jewish community after the exile. This is 
a few hundred years before Jesus came on the scene, before he was born. Now, we don't have time to go into all the nitty-gritty of the history of the Pharisees, but I want to give you guys the the short version, all right? So the short version is this, that uh, God's people, the Jews, had wandered away from the law of God, the Old Testament, and they had drifted into sin. I would, I would say drifted is probably too kind. They really just ran headlong into sin intentionally, okay? So it wasn't a drift, it was, it was active, okay? So they, they had wandered away from the Lord and wandered away from the law into sin. And this sin increased in the people. And so God had made promises throughout the Old Testament that if his people did not repent, that he would send judgment on them. And one of the things he would do was take them out of the land. So as their sin increased, God sent his enemies, the enemies of the Jews, on them, and they were taken into exile into Babylon. The Babylonians fell, the Persians took over, and the Persians let the uh, Israelites uh, go back to, the Jews go back to the promised land, back to Jerusalem and the, the land surrounding. Now, when they were there, when they were there, this period of exile was over, and they were restored back to the land, God called the people to renew their commitment back to the law of God. So the Pharisees were non-priestly Jews. They were just lay people, businessmen, all right? They were just influential Jewish leaders. These Pharisees sought to hold the people to their commitment, that they would follow the law. This is a good thing. The Pharisees started as a good thing. So why did the people end up in exile? They drifted and wandered away from the law. Now here they are back in the land, back in Jerusalem, back in their home country. They'd recommitted back to the law. And guess what? You have a group of non-priestly people, that's church members, just like you guys, who said, not on my watch. We're going to make sure God's people don't drift from the law again. And that is a good thing. Until it's not. Okay, so what happened with these Pharisees? They begin to lose the heart of God. And it was no longer about knowing God through his law, but it began to be this religious practice that made the things that they were doing more important than the God that they were following. And it became about religious action instead of knowing the one true God. All right, so how does this go? What I, what I want us to see here is that as much as we as, as 21st century New Testament Christians are kind of brainwashed to see Pharisees as the enemy, always in the wrong, the Pharisees were actually right to express the importance of the Sabbath. They were right to express the importance of the Sabbath. But what we're going to see is they were more concerned with the religious practice, and not so much concerned with the heart behind it. But what I want to do for the next few minutes, and I want to read several long passages from the Old Testament. I need you guys to see that the Pharisees had a leg to stand on. Okay? Let's look at a few of these passages that they would have had in their minds as they challenged Jesus and him picking the grain and him healing on the Sabbath. Let's start with uh, the Ten Commandments, the fourth commandment from Exodus chapter 20, starting in verse 8. It says this, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. 
But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner within your gates. Just stick your finger right there. Now what this means is, like, you can't get around this. I didn't do any work today. My kid did. I didn't do any work today. My slave did. I didn't do any work today. I hired an outsider to do the work. All right, you see that? Like, in the Ten Commandments, it's like, stop it. Slow down. Everybody gets to rest. For six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is within them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day to make it holy. All right, so two big takeaways from this command. First, the command is absolutely about the people not doing work on the Sabbath. Okay, it's about not doing work. Second, God set the example. He didn't work on the seventh day. If God didn't work on the seventh day, who do you think you are? Okay, you can just chew on that for a minute, okay? All right, so it's really important to see that rest is included on the foundations, uh, included in, in God laying the foundations of the universe. All right, but this isn't the only place that Sabbath is mentioned in the Old Testament. Exodus chapter 31, starting in verse 12, says this. lays out the penalty for not honoring the Sabbath. And the Lord God said to Moses, You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be what? Put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath shall be put to death. I mean, this is just a little law, right? I mean, it's not that big a deal. It's just a small thing. That's not what I'm reading. Like, this is a big deal. Exodus chapter 35, verse 3 says that the people should not even kindle a fire on the Sabbath. In fact, Numbers 15 tells a story of a guy who, he was gathering firewood, they grabbed him, they took him out of town, and they killed him. Okay, like, it's in there. Numbers 15, it happened. There's an example of this. This isn't one of those laws that's just floating out there that we're not supposed to take seriously. It is real. Now, I'm going to read from Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Now, I want you to think about the exile, this thing we just talked about with the Pharisees. Right before the exile, two prophets that were sent to God's people were Jeremiah and Ezekiel. And I want you to listen to how Sabbath is treated in Jeremiah And Ezekiel, this is a long passage, the longest one I'm going to read today, Jeremiah 17, 19 through 27. It says this, Thus said the Lord to me. Who's talking? The Lord is talking. Thus said the Lord to me, Go and stand in the people's gate by which the kings of Judah entered and by which they go out. And in all the gates of Jerusalem, and say, Hear the word of the Lord, you kings of Judah, and all Judah, and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem who enter by these gates. Thus says the Lord, Take care. 
for the sake of your lives, and do not bear a burden on the Sabbath day, or bring it in by the gates of Jerusalem. Do not carry a burden out of your house on the Sabbath, or do any work, but keep the Sabbath day holy, as I commanded your fathers. Yet they did not listen or incline their ear, but stiffened their necks that they may not hear and receive instruction. But if you listen to me, declares the Lord, and bring in no burden by the gates of this city on the Sabbath day, but keep the Sabbath day holy and do no work on it, then there there shall enter by the gates of this city kings and princes who sit on the throne of David, riding in chariots and horses, they and their officials, men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and this city shall be inhabited forever. Skip over verse 26, look at verse 27. But if you do not listen to me to keep the Sabbath day holy and do not bear a burden and enter by the gates of Jerusalem on the Sabbath day, then I will kindle a fire in its gates, and it shall devour the places of Jerusalem and shall not be quenched. What is part of the judgment on Judah according to Jeremiah? Part of the reason that God sent the enemies to destroy Jerusalem and Judah was because they wouldn't honor the Sabbath, specifically carrying a burden into the city and out of their house. Are you you tracking with the Pharisees here? All right, let's go one more. Let's look at, uh, oh, and I want to point this out. But if they do, but if they do honor the Sabbath, blessings come. It's a sign of the Messiah. The kings will be established forever. So part of honoring the Sabbath is looking forward to the Messiah. All right, let's look at Ezekiel chapter 20. It echoes the same judgment that comes from not obeying Sabbath. All right, same time frame. Moreover, I gave them my Sabbaths as a sign between me and them, that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. But the house of Israel rebelled against me in the days of the wilderness. They did not walk in my statutes, but rejected my rules by which, if a person does them, he shall live. And my Sabbaths, they have what? Profaned. Then I said, I would pour out my wrath upon them in the wilderness to make, them, to make a full end of them. I mean, so as, as we're looking at this, are, are we seeing, what does the Old Testament have to say about Sabbath? Big deal or little deal? Like, like big deal. Big deal. Capital offense, part of the reason that they lost the land. Doesn't get much bigger. One of the Ten Commandments. All right? Just one more time. One of the Ten Commandments. Capital offense, one of the reasons they lost the land. Okay. So I think that as you see these scriptures, you can see that the Pharisees who confronted Jesus about what he was doing was not baseless. As the spiritual leaders in the community, it was appropriate for them to make sure that Jesus was professing the truth. However, the big problem with the Pharisees is that they weren't interested in the truth. 
They were interested in legal procedures, traditions, and practices that led to outward holiness. They weren't interested in the true heart of God. Now, what I find fascinating is we think back to Luke chapter 6, and we've looked at verses 1 through 11 in that first chunk when they were eating the grain, okay? Uh, I think it's interesting uh, of what the Pharisees did not address. We see that they addressed the issue of the Sabbath, but what did they not address? What's Jesus doing? Jesus was walking through a field, picking someone else's grain and eating it. Was this his grain? Was this his farm? Did he know that farmer? We're not told. But you know what we call this in the United States? Stealing. We call this stealing. Jesus and his disciples were stealing. But the Pharisees, but the Pharisees didn't call them out on stealing. Why? I'm so glad you asked. Because Jesus wasn't actually breaking the law. Because God's law was given for our good. And one of the perfect examples of that is the provision that allowed for Jesus to pick this grain without it being stealing. Listen to Deuteronomy chapter 23. It says this, If you go into your neighbor's vineyard, you may eat your fill of grapes, as many as you wish, but you shall not put any in your bag. If you go into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the ears with your hand, but you shall not put a sickle to your neighbor's standing grain. This is a provision for the traveler. This is a provision for the poor, that they wouldn't go hungry. How many of you guys are familiar with the story of Ruth and Boaz, where Ruth goes out behind Boaz's harvesters? That comes from Leviticus 19. It says this, When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your fields right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after you harvest, and you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for who? The poor and the sojourner. The sojourner is another word for traveler. Okay? I am the Lord your God. Now I want you to think about God's law. God's law has built into it protection for those who are in need. God loves his people. His desire, his design is to care for his people. Now, this is interesting. I want you to think now about the second example. What's the second example? It's Jesus healing a withered hand. Now, we talked about this, how how these two uh, teachings on the Sabbath really make the same point, but they're different. So let's focus on the difference for a second. Now, what is this miracle? Jesus says, what are his words? Is it better to do good or to do harm? To save life or to destroy it? So what he says here is, I'm going to heal a withered hand on the Sabbath so that you can see that God's law is really about his love for his people. He wants them to walk in his ways because following his ways is how we get to the heart of God. He wants us to know him. So he says, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or destroy it? And then he heals the man's hand. He heals the man's hand so that we can see a parallel between that and Jesus picking the grains and eating them. 
In, in both cases, what do we see? We see that God is concerned with life. He wants to see his people live and follow him. He wants us to see that his law is for the good of man. So think back to the first example of Jesus and uh, the plucking the grain. What does Jesus do to uh, defend himself? Where does he go in scripture? So what Jesus does is he appeals to David eating the bread of the presence, even though that bread was to be reserved for the priests alone. Now, we're not going to go into a lot of detail here, but part of the worship was to keep baked bread uh, before the Lord in the tabernacle before the Ark of the Covenant. So I'm going to give you guys uh, a quick story here, just a little bit of history. Why is Jesus appealing to this? What is the exception here? Why would he go to David as the exception in this case? All right, so, so David should not have eaten that bread. That bread was for the priests and the priests only to eat. But when we read through Scripture, David is held accountable for many sins, many sins. You know one sin he's never held accountable for? Eating the bread. Never comes up. So what's that tell us? That, that what he did here was an exception to the law. No one but the priest should eat the bread. All right, so, so why is this an exception? All right, so again, we can't get into full detail today, but if you want to go back and look at this story, look up 1 Samuel chapter 20 and 21. 1 Samuel 20 and 21. All right, you guys will remember this story. So the reigning king at this time is not David. It is Saul. Saul is the king. And Saul's son, Jonathan, is David's best friend. All right, now Jonathan finds out that, that uh, Saul wants to kill David. So they set up this whole system to where Jonathan is going to let David know his dad wants to kill him. So he passes this message to David, and David books it out of town. He's just like, okay, I'm gone. The king wants to kill me. I'm getting out of Dodge. He has no supplies with him. He's on the run. And the, one of the places he ends up is the place where the Ark of the Covenant was resting. And he goes there and he asks the priest, do you have any bread? And the priest says, no. All we have is the bread of the presence. All we have is the consecrated bread before the Lord. And so the priest gives that bread to David so that David can run, so he can save his life. What we see there is God protecting life. The purpose of the fact that the bread was only for the priests was about honoring God, okay? The purpose of that bread being only for the priests was about honoring God. It was not about denying that bread from others. The purpose was to honor God by, by setting it apart. But here we had a situation, an emergency, that has nothing to do with dishonoring God, and so God allows David to take this bread because at the end of the day, the law is for man's good. All right, he set this up for man's good. And that's when we see the, uh, 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 the example then Jesus appeals to next that Luke shows us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, him healing on the Sabbath day. At that moment, what we see is, is Jesus displaying to those who are around that the law is for man's good. Mark chapter 27 records this same story. Mark chapter 2, verse 27 records this same story. And it's almost identical, except Mark includes a little phrase for us that's really important for us to see as we think about the law being for our good. Mark chapter 2, verse 27 says this. This is the words of Jesus. Sabbath 
was made for man. Man was not made for the Sabbath. Now, what that tells us is that Jesus was challenging the way the Pharisees had missed the point of the Sabbath. Sabbath was to be a gift to man. Sabbath was supposed to be a benefit for man. Remember how I started today? How I started this message talking about how I think that sleep and meals are God's gift to humanity because they keep us focused on the home and the relationships that are closest to us. That rest is for our good. As much as sleep and meals help us focus on our families, similarly, Sabbath rest should help us focus on God and our need for Him and our dependence on Him. That's what Sabbath is about. It's about our need for Him and our dependence on Him. We aren't to be slaves to the Sabbath. We belong to the the Father, not to the Sabbath. But God gave us the Sabbath with instructions to honor it so we would build dependence on Him and trust in Him into our regular lives. I'm going to say that again. God gave us the Sabbath with instructions to honor it so we would build dependence on Him and trust in Him into our regular lives. Why was Sabbath so important? Could you imagine... I mean, not very many of us in here are farmers, and around here, if you farm anything, it's probably cattle, all right? Uh, But think think about this for a minute. If you had a crop that was uh, in need to be harvested, all right, it was time to harvest it, and you knew that bad weather was coming, and you know that bad weather can destroy a harvest, wouldn't you want to get out there even if it was on Sunday? Wouldn't you want to get out there and take that harvest in even if it was on Sunday, but God forbid that. Why? Because our hope is not in earthly things. Our trust is not in earthly things. And what God wanted his people to see is that he's in control even when we're out of control. Any day of the week, marauders could have come in and and taken what was theirs, you know, back, back in that time frame. So to not work on one day put grave risk on your family. And he says, trust me. Rest in me. Not in your own work, not in your own ability to prepare, but trust me. Rest in me. And he knew that we would have such a hard time with that that he protected it with great cost. He set the example as the creator of the universe. And he put boundaries around this day of rest so that we would know the importance of being dependent on him and seeing that his law was for our good and our benefit. Because trusting in him, faithing in him, believing in him was for our good and for our benefit. And what the Pharisees wanted the people to do was to trust in a perfunctory religious action and not trust in God. They were missing the point altogether. They were presenting a religious action as the source of hope instead of trusting the one who secured you in your rest. And so Jesus brings it back to life. And he shows us the value of life by eating of grain and restoring a hand. Because God wants us to live 
in the goodness of following him. You see, the application for, for the message today is that we cannot let the, the compulsion, all right, to, to uh, fulfill a religious obligation get in the way of us living like Jesus. We can't let religious activity get in the way of us living like Jesus. We can be just like the Pharisees sometimes. We can find ourselves protecting a tradition or a practice over the people that those laws are supposed to lead toward Jesus. So hear me on this. We, we don't change the law. Jesus was the one who was the Lord of the Sabbath. He is the one who has the authority to interpret the law, okay? We don't have the authority to rewrite the parts that we don't like or the parts of Scripture that seem too hard. But what Jesus does is help remind us that God's law and his standard of righteousness and his commandments are for our good, what we need to do is look at the good behind the laws that are hard. In this confrontation about the Sabbath, Jesus reminds us that if we get wrapped up in the how of what we're supposed to do, that we miss the why. Now, that's not to say that the how doesn't matter, okay? But the why fuels the how, not the other way around. Why we do what we do matters, so after Jesus and his disciples pluck the grain on the Sabbath, what he does is he declares himself Lord of the Sabbath. He's telling us he is the authority to properly interpret the purpose of Sabbath. And Jesus says he has the authority to claim the why. And Jesus can say that all the law and the prophets is summed up in the commands of what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And he can say the second commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. All of these things are pointing us to the fact that the heart of God's law is his love for us. He wants us to live in obedience to him in a heart that loves him and in a heart that loves others. But we are often, often what we do is we are so dense that we can't see what God has called us to is for our own good left to our own impulses and desires, we will interpret God's law in a way that suits our selfish desires. So God in his wisdom established strict rules and harsh punishments, not to make life bland or uh, unexciting, but so that we can see the importance of his law and so that the importance of his law is accentuated by the consequences that he set up so that he can steer us back to him, to his plan and his purpose. So he provided heavy punishments for the violations of the Sabbath because he wants us to trust in his provision. He wants us to pause and remember that he is the Lord. And he wants us to do this for our own good. He loves us enough to make sure we take the time to rest and worship him and focus on him as our creator and our savior. So he says, protect that time. And what he does is he gets on to the, to the Pharisees for saying it's about this religious practice instead of getting to the heart of God. 
And so that's our challenge. As followers of Jesus Christ, have we gotten so wrapped up in a religious activity that we miss the heart of God? Where it's about accomplishing A and B, and it's not about getting to God's heart. Let's just use giving for an example. All right, I'm going to be quick on this. But, but giving financial gifts is, is a good thing. But we can write that check, put it in the plate, give it to the cause, whatever it is. And if, if our heart is not in that, then it's just an exercise in, in religious practice. God, God wants our hearts to be thankful for what he's given us. Wants us to be drawn into the, the worship of a gift. Because it's really about walking in the goodness of what he's called us to, not about checking a box. We can't allow what we do for Jesus to be about checking a box. This whole passage is a heart check. So where are you in your, in your walk with Jesus? Are you checking boxes? Or are you looking to the why? Why am I doing what I'm doing? Why is obedience to this important? How do I get to God's heart as I follow him here? If, if you're just following religious practice, if you're just checking a box, then, then my call to you is, all right, hey, I'm not saying don't do it, because clearly it's important. But check your motives. Ask the Lord to soften your heart. Ask him to allow those moments of obedience to be acts of love to him, loves to others, and acts of worship. So we're going to go ahead and we're going we're gonna to go ahead and close in singing these two songs here. And as we sing these two songs, this is our time for us to just reflect. I think, I think Adam has us singing a, a Christmas song here at the end, uh, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And as we think about that, what we're saying is, God, we want you to come. We want to know you. He sent his son, Jesus, so we could know him. And praise God, he sent Jesus, Lord of the Sabbath, to help us understand how his law is for our good. So as we sing these two songs, what a great opportunity as we celebrate Jesus in the flesh, pointing us back to the heart of God. So as we sing these two songs, this is our time to respond. You can come forward and lay your burdens down before him, or you can lift them up to him where you sing. Let's all stand today.